welcome to the Ramble Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Primus, father, entrepreneur, filmmaker, athlete, hopeful writer, and dedicated wanderer. I'm curious to learn more about how people live their lives, their struggles, and passions, and pains. So every week, with athletes, entrepreneurs, healers, adventurers, and beyond, I'm going to have unbound and uncensored long-form conversations about people, places, pursuits, and performance. Enjoy. Hello, 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 wonderful people. I have a wonderful guest. My dear California brother, Joe Huff is on the podcast. Let me tell you a little bit about Joe. Alongside his co-author, Bridget Hilton, Joe is obsessed with experiences, determined to unlock the secrets of his remarkable power to transform lives, which I can attest to. He has spent years interviewing social science experts, conducting the largest study on experiences ever done and turning himself into an experiential guinea pig. He is trained to be a samurai, danced with the Northern Lights, tracked silverback gorillas in a hailstorm, stood face to face with the hungry lion on safari, visited 52 countries in all 50 states, I hope you talk about all that, Joe. Absorbed life lessons from the Maasai Mara tribesmen sped across a glacier on a dog sled, built schools for kids in need, lived with monks, helped give over 50,000 people hearing, swam with great white sharks, and explored the experiential riches life has to offer. That's just a little tiny, tiny little bit about Joe. He's one of the most incredible human beings I've ever met. And I'm so excited to have him on the show. Joe, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks for the, the incredible intro. It sounds so cool when you say it like that. Well, it sounds so cool <laughs> when I read it like that. <laughs> That's, that is the, there's so many things there I want to just know all about how every one of those came to be, what they were like. But I felt like I should start by asking you, how are you doing? You getting sleep? Yeah, you know, uh, actually, uh, sleep has been hard to come by. Um, I've uh, I've got uh, like yourself. I've got kids, and uh, I, we have a, a young. We have a three month old, so we got a two and a half year old and a three month old. So uh, you you have to uh, adjust accordingly. Um, but I wouldn't change that for the world. It's it's literally the best part of life by far, in my opinion. Um, we're having an absolute blast. The last few weeks in particular were a bit challenging because after uh, two years and two months, we finally uh, finally got struck with some COVID. Um, so it was a, a rough, uh, it, was a, it was a combination of uh, my son actually actually got pneumonia first, uh, randomly, probably from swimming in a pool, we think, but, uh, and then, uh, that escalated into all of us getting COVID uh, a week later. And oh. we had about two and a half, three weeks of just like a really rough time with kids not sleeping all night and us not sleeping. But, uh, other than that, you know, as far as experiences goes, I can check off COVID off the list as well now. <laughs> so. uh, well, experiences don't all have to be good, right? No, I'm sorry yeah, to that's that. actually a big part of how we feel about it. It's funny that you say that though. that's actually how we, we think, you know, like, uh, every, every experience has a lot of value, you know, so it's just a matter of how you really tee it up to extract that value. That's totally true, man. Like I think about when I think about my travel stories, yeah, I think about the good ones, but I often think about like the near death experiences and like the, the ones where you're just horribly miserable because you're stuck somewhere and you have food poisoning. You know what I mean? But you're with people you love or something like that. And it just, that's what you remember. That's what you talk about. Well, that's, that's, you know, that's funny that you brought that up first, because that is, you know, we actually talk about all of the benefits, all of the social benefits, all of the 
health benefits, mental and physical of having experiences and having new experiences. But one of the really interesting things about experiences as like an actual value in your life is that they don't lose value. Your experiences, you just have them forever, but also negative experiences usually turn positive, even like the worst experiences, just like you just said that story, you immediately started laughing as you were thinking about how terrible something was. As time goes on, the worst story is the story that you tell somebody and you're like, man, so there I am, you know, like, you know, literally food poisoning in a tent on the side of a road in Nepal or whatever <laughs> the case. And yeah, it doesn't even have to be travel related, just whatever happens after Afterwards, those are the stories that become really funny and endearing as we start to like, you know, build our life stories up. I, I know. And it's, I, I, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe you don't know. Is there a psychological, a, a definable psychological reason for that phenomenon? Like why all of a sudden we flip a terrible experience into a laughable, wonderful story 20 years later? Yeah. You know, I think that you know, when you really boil it down, experiences are how we learn, how we learn everything. So, you know, I like to say, I actually, so I'll jump back a little and say, I'm not a fan of the idea of, you know, when people give advice to, to young people and say, you know, do what you love. You don't even know what you love actually, until you try a lot of things. Like you don't know what you don't like. You don't really understand how things affect you until you experience them. Right. So I think that the learning that comes from experiences and experiencing things is something that's, you know, hundreds of thousands of years old in terms of our just evolution. Right. So when you talk about how negative experiences then become something positive later, it's probably something to do with the fact that we learned a lot from that. And looking back, because, you know, again, the, the beauty of a near-death experience is it wasn't a full-on death, death experience, right? So you actually can <laughs> laugh about it. It's actually something that can be funny. And you actually usually, you know, actually one of the things I like to say the most is we're not all lucky enough to have a near-death experience because near-death near experiences usually give people a lot of reasons to actually live a much more fuller life in the short term and hopefully in the long term as well. But I think that's what it's, it's yeah. associated with. That integration is really interesting too, because we just had a really, there's a, there's a bunch of times in, in my life and where this has happened, where you've had, I guess, something that you would consider a near-death experience, even if maybe it wasn't technically, Yeah. but we just had, so I have a four-month-old, you have a three-month-old, our, when she was one month, just at the one-month mark, our cat attacked her wow. and, and, uh, bit her in the head three times and all puncture wounds. And so, you know, literally it was like one second. And then the next second I turn around and she's in a pool of her own blood and we rushed to the hospital and it was just the most unbelievably terrifying experience. Cause it's one thing when something happens to you, of course. Yeah. It's right. Totally different and then when kids. you see it happen to your kids and there's this halo of gratitude when, when all is settled and, and they're better. There's this halo of gratitude and there's this halo of I'm going to live better and I'm going to apply the principles of that moment. And as time goes on, that halo starts to fade a little bit, it, little by little, it, it, it disappears. And I've never figured out the secret to holding on to those lessons, like as, as viscerally, I guess, as they were when they, you know, when they happened. But that's really it, right? Because when you have them, they do they do shift. Yeah. So 
So there's like a Tao and a, a, a Buddhist, you know, philosophy that the only way to really live like that and to keep that top of mind is to contemplate death mm -hmm. five times a day. That's what they say. But I, I actually, it's by far to me, the number one tool that anyone can use is to really think about death. And in, in Western culture, we not only do we not think about death, we actually definitely push it into like the back corner and don't, you know, it's like, it's like the crazy uncle we don't want to talk about. It's just mm -hmm. pretend it's not there. And that's why people get in so much trouble. You know, that's why people actually wind up toward the end of their life with so much regret because they didn't feel any urgency because they didn't really think of the fact that, you know, we're all going to die and we don't know when, which is you know crazy, but our, our way of dealing with that is to ignore it versus if you actually address it head on, it creates such a better outcome instead of actually avoiding it until you have to face it. Cause you're going to, by the way, <laughs> you can't yeah, right? forever. And then what happens if you face it now is you can act accordingly. You can say, okay, well, you know, I could die next week. So I'm actually not going to put off that trip. I said, I always want to do, or I'm not going to, I'm going to make the list of the things that I think I care about. I'm going to start trying to check some things off my list now. And, you know, you know, uh, more than most people, but even with travel, you know, we, you hear people all the time, they talk about, you know, well, when I retire, I'm going to travel the world. And it's like, you know, that's not a plan. That's a bumper sticker. That's a you know poster. It's not like actually executable. And, and by the way, you know, you and I probably, again, more than a lot of people know that it takes a long time to travel the world. It takes a long time to travel anywhere. So if you I've been doing travel it for Vietnam 20, takes a while. Yeah. I've been doing it 20 years and I'm not, you know, I'm at like 52 countries, you know, it's definitely takes a long time. So doing things when you're healthy and, and fit, but it's hard and, to be aware of that and stuff. No, totally. And, and doing them and doing them I want to use, this isn't the right word, but properly, and this is not to throw shade at anything, but there was, a, there was a moment where a lot of people were kind of on this agenda to see as many countries as they could. And I read this one article about this person who did it. I think she was the youngest female. And it's a remarkable accomplishment by any standard. But she spent I think no I more than two days. <laughs> no more than two days. A land didn't out. That's not experience. Yeah. I mean, think of it like, you know, when people talk about that stuff, I, I use that example as well of like, you know, what it's really what you're, what you want out of something in general, but you know, it's like when, if somebody were to say, I've been to the United States when they went to New York for, you know, a Saturday afternoon, mm -hmm. you don't really know anything about the United States. It's a massive place. And most countries are that complex with that many different types of people and culture and all mm -hmm. those things intertwined. So um, yeah, travel is a big one. And, you know, it's funny, we talk about travel a lot with experiences in terms of what people value, even though I'm a really big believer that there's so many ways to start really small and not everybody wants to travel for that matter. Not everybody wants to be rich. Not everybody wants a lot of the things that we kind of all assume. But the reason that we use travel so much is from the surveys that we've done, it is the number one thing by far. It's the number one thing people regret the most. And it could be as, as simple as, you know, we had a lot of people say, I I regret never having visited the state that I grew up in or where I was born or the city that my parents were from when it was like a state away, you know, it's like a, it's a weekend drive that costs less than a hundred dollars and people are, they don't do it because they just think they'll have more time, but yeah, travel's uh, always big on people's mind. 
I want to dive into this in, a, in, in great detail, but let's go back. So you're, you're one of the people, you and I have known each other for a decade or so. It's crazy to think that it's that long or yeah. possibly longer. <laughs> and, you know, we see each other whenever I'm in California. And are you trying to remind me of, of death again? <laughs> <laughs> Buddy, you don't look, you look fantastic. <laughs> I got so much gray hair that, uh, that I get that reminder at least four times a day from just my hair alone. <laughs> so here's the, here's the compliment I'm, I'm going to lead with is that you're one of the people who every time we talk or see each other and you tell me you're going to do something the next time we talk or we see each other, you've done that thing. And so that's we're we're in that window now where it's been about a year to six months when we, we last spoke and you talked to me about Experiential Billionaire. And here we are. And you just sent me the website and it looks fantastic and you are doing it. So I want to spend a great deal of this conversation talking about the why, the what of that. But I'd love if you could build in the context of how you got to the place where you're launching this business and what were the, the stepping stones of your life that made you feel like with all that you've done and accomplished and really anything that you could have done, because you're one of those people who literally could do anything. You chose this. Yeah, I mean, I first really appreciate that. It was really, really a great compliment to hear. And I can tell that, you know, tell anyone listening that I know I don't feel like that. And I know <laughs> most people don't feel like that. So it's great to hear that because I'm sure there's a lot of things that I probably try to accomplish that I didn't yet that I that are on my list. Um, uh, I have a, I have them all written down here. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay, someone's keeping score. Yeah, I need that. I need that. Yeah, my to-do list is pretty absurd already. Trust me. <laughs> but, yeah, I I say, um, you know, I, I was born with you know zero connections to um, to you know fame or money, and you know education was was a stretch um, for me personally, just because I made some really terrible choices as an adolescent, got mixed up with the wrong people, and and you know really just had a, a near near death experience just from almost throwing my life away when I was young. And, uh, there was a moment though, this is again, there's very, very distinct moments in my life that shaped my perception. Um, so I'll kind of just talk you through those in a, in a shortened version. Um, but the first thing that really happened is right around when I had just kind of pulled myself out of a massive spiral of, you know, drugs and alcohol, and I got kicked out of high school and, you know, all of the things that, you know, are the hallmarks for not having the life that you probably want. And a lot of that is directly my fault. And, you know, my parents, I think did a great job, the best they, they could, but they were, you know, we were lower middle-class, they were working a lot and I had a very little supervision, me and my older brothers. Um, the long and short of it though, I, I did, I, I, I figured a way back and I actually wound up doing two years of high school in one year and I got sobered up and I got in back into school and I was graduating. And right around that time, um, I had come downstairs to uh, the kitchen table before school and I found my father that who was 48 at the time, face down on the kitchen table, just white as a ghost, sweating profusely. Um, that led to 911 and emergency uh, uh, transportation to the hospital. And it turned out that the last year and a half that he'd been going to the doctor to try to figure out an ulcer he had was actually advanced cardiomyopathy. And his heart was basically 
failing at that point it was failing completely so that moment from the kitchen table turned into a couple months on life support in the hospital bumped up to the top of the list for a heart transplant and he lost about 50 pounds and it was this you know he worked so much my whole life growing up then i had a good relationship with my dad but i didn't see him a lot because he was gone a lot but essentially at that moment i was like this is bullshit you know you work this much and then you suddenly just die like my dad didn't get the vacation the retirement the end of the rainbow pot of gold in any way and i was pretty scarred like at that point i was really questioning a lot of things and um the long and the short of it is he wound up getting the transplant and the recovery actually was pretty pretty miserable pretty crappy wasn't really what they promised there either but after about a year or so he decided to go drive down to Mexico. Um, and he was still having a lot of medical issues, a lot of problems. And he asked me what I thought about that. And at the time, again, being, you know, a pretty, pretty low on funds and, you know, not having a lot of prospects. It wasn't like I had a scholarship and I was working a couple of really terrible labor type jobs. Um, I did know though, living in SoCal, uh, Rosarito and Ensenada and Tijuana, and I loved Mexico already. And, uh, I said, yeah, you should go, you know, you you're living a pretty miserable existence. And, you know, the doctors were like, what, you know, no way he can't leave. That's crazy. He's got to stay near the hospital. He's not even got his medications tuned up. And my brothers and my mom are saying the same kind of thing. And I was like, look, I'd rather he has a week in Mexico than 10 years in Riverside, California next to the hospital. And he left, he drove down there with my uncle and uh, they, they stumbled us. They, they had a, a goal of going to Zihuatanejo because they saw it in the movie Shawshank. Shawshank. Yeah, literally that <laughs> was like their target. And then, like, it's as silly as that sounds, like, which is a great story on its own. But, and they loaded up a car and they drove and uh, they wound up in this small town called San Carlos that's in there. It's in Sonora. It's about six hours south of Tucson, but it's a beautiful, it looks like Cabo, but on the opposite you know side of the Gulf there and um, the Sea of Cortez there. And they wound up staying there just to take a pause and they wound up staying there for 10 years. And after my dad was there only about not even a month, his health just went from like all the problems to like a hundred percent. He wound up going back to the doctor once a year for checkups for like 10 years. And he had this incredible second chapter of life where, you know, he went sailing and fishing and hiking and biking across the desert and hosting parties every weekend and doing, I mean, he had this absolutely black and white different life than he had had up until that moment at the kitchen table. So, but that to me was like a really, a really cool moment because it changed how I thought, you know, cause I thought, okay, you know, it, it was basically my near death experience, kind of like your point about your, your daughter. And, and again, that's gotta be terrifying to have anything like that happen with a child with my dad, the same thing, watching somebody and you can't do anything. You're just kind of trying to see what happens, but yeah. So that was a, a moment that then told me, okay, that coupled with the fact that I took accountability before that for my own actions and was able to really make a big shift in my life and turn around, you know, a pretty serious drug problem and fix a bunch of things. And it was still a super long road, but it, that affected my choices from then on. I literally started making decisions. Like, I don't know how long I'm going to 
live. I don't know what my life's going to look like. And I'm just going to start seeking experiences um, on my way as I, as I go. And I'm not going to say that, you know, I think it's an absolute sham or lie. If I was to say like, you know, I started off at 18 on some high-minded philosophical quest to, you know, seek out experiences. I wasn't aware of that, but I definitely was choosing those things. You know, there's a whole track record of me doing that from that moment to the rest of my life, basically till now. So, so that got me, that got me like a, a good start on, you know, the urgency. And I don't know that I would have had that, you know, if I hadn't witnessed that kind of situation. Well, thank you for sharing that. I was wondering if I could ask, what was the thing that gave you the, the strength um, where you are obviously had the strength that motivated you to become accountable for the challenges that you were having, at, you know, I guess when you were around 18 with drugs. You know, it's funny because like you're one of the things with experiences that I think is really interesting is our experiences really, you know, with the reason we call the book experiential billionaire and we talk about building experiential wealth is that we believe that your experiences are the true value of your life. You know, that that's how you should determine your you know, whether you're rich or not, or how, how, what your value is. And we don't mean that actually, even just in the individual way, it's actually in a social way. Also, like mm. the, what experiences you have affect everyone around you, your friends, your family, your coworkers, every single thing, which is why people generally gravitate toward people that are interesting people that have done a lot of things, you know, because they have a value provide, whether it's telling stories or just, you know, people learning from them, et cetera. But so in my particular, my particular case, so I had really, really just you know, been in the wrong crowd for a long time. And as it real as it spiraled out of control, my family obviously got involved and my, my parents were devastated. And some of my closer friends that um, had had problems, but had figured it out. Also, everyone was kind of, you know, pushing for me to like, try to figure myself out before I died essentially. Mm. And, uh, and there was a moment, there was a very, very, very real moment. I can picture it like it was yesterday, even though it was 40 years ago or something. But, um, but my mom actually, uh, I come home at like three in the morning. And again, I was like 16 and a half or something like that, where I definitely wasn't even supposed to be gone at that particular time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and my mom just looked at me and said that she gave up. She was, you know, she had been crying for like, at this point, God knows months and months. And um, I just remember it was her, actually, I was looking at her and I was thinking, you know, no, 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 if she gives up, then I'm done. You know, this is my mom, like of all the people that care about me, et cetera. And then I was just looking at what I was doing to her and the family. And, and it just kind of, the switch just kind of flipped where I was like, I have to, I have to fix this, you know, because otherwise I'm, I'm like this close, I'm at the edge and I'm about to fall off. And, um, and it's just, you know, like anything, like if you just, once you kind of, people say this about things like quitting smoking or any, a lot of these types of things where once you kind of actually can make that flip that switch and just start working really toward the goal, not just saying it, not just paying lip service, um, things become possible. The impossible really does become possible. You know, you start to see the progress. So yeah, for me, it was that. And one of my closest friends actually totally kicked my ass one day, like right around the same time. It is one of my best friends. And he told me, he's like, 
every time I see you, I'm just going to beat the shit out of you until I know that you're sober. <laughs> and I still, we're like best friends to this day. It was a really, really oh, man, great moment. Yeah. He, he, uh, he just was like, I don't know what else to do. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, tough luck. Anyways, that's a real friend, not an enabler, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, it's, I look back at that, you know, because I obviously at the time it was like, oh my God, I threw away college. I threw away everything that, you know, you, it's the starting point of my life. But as a result, I actually figured a lot of those things out early where, you know, I definitely, as I got into my twenties and everything, I didn't have to figure those types of dangerous, uh, paths out. So, so how did you jump from that to the philanthropy based consumer product that you did exceptionally well, not once, twice that I know of. How did you make that leap into that? How did you decide that you, and to, to put some context around this, there's, you know, in today's day and age, there's a lot of greenwashing where in the sense that everything is an environmental business. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's sister companion, if you will, is, uh, is on the charity side. Everything's a charitable, you know, we support such and such a cause. You started doing this 10 years before that ever became a thing, before everybody started doing it. And and the reason that that was so far flung was because it's already so hard to be successful in the apparel industry with consumer products, with margin, et cetera, et cetera. And then to say, you're going to give away a big chunk of that money. How did you land on saying I'm going to be a social entrepreneur again before it was buzzy? And, you know, how did you make that work? Yeah. You know, I mean, again, part of growing up poor really was like I, the whole idea of philanthropy was just foreign to me. Like it was, it was like a bunch of rich people in black tie, you know, tuxedos at a thousand dollar a plate events that, and this was, this was something that I just wasn't even this is a club I'm not a part of. I, I couldn't participate. I had no idea like how that world even operated. And it was outside of anything I even understood. So, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to just work my, my ass off for so long um, that when I was in my twenties and then in my early thirties, that one of the things I was trying to do is I, I kept trying to start some kind of business with a you know, shoestring kind of budget. And, uh, and you, I think, you know, the story, Joel, but, uh, my, one of the, that's actually the same high school friend that, that beat me up when I was younger, uh, he and I, so the only high school friend really that I kept in touch with, I moved away from everyone that I knew right after I graduated high school. Um, and he and I kept in touch and, uh, he asked, uh, me to help him. I, I think that a lot of things stem from from helping. By the way, I'm just going to insert that. You can you can tangent it if you want. <laughs> yeah, no, it's gonna. It's, you'll see how though. But sometimes you just you feel like you have to do something because it's the right thing to do. And there's so much that comes out of those moments. I find the first moment for, of that for me was so I had been um, working like several jobs. I was like doing stand up comedy, which doesn't pay any money, obviously, um, when you're not good. Did and I was doing. That? Yeah, I was, uh, I was, uh, doing, uh, I was working in like, uh, you know, restaurants, waiting tables. I was doing personal training. I was literally like, just like trying to survive and figure out ways to just work harder and like do something and rub two wooden nickels together kind of thing. And, uh, I, I started to build this personal training business that started to take off and started to actually do pretty well. And I was just getting like a good roster of clients and getting a buzz going. I was feeling pretty good about that. And, um, 
health and you know wellness has always been a big part of my life. And my friend calls and says, Hey, I just had a stroke and he's 30. You know, and I was like, wait, what, what do you mean you had a stroke? And he's like, yeah, I just had a stroke. I just got to the hospital. Um, they don't know what happened, but he had a young, young daughter at the time and a, a three-year-old, maybe an a, a infant son. And he was like, I need some help. You know, I, he had started some tiny little warehouse business that was like really four people in a building kind of thing. And then he said, I need some help. And I said, okay, well, what do you want? He's like, can you help me come run the company for a while? And I basically had this moment where I was like, yep, what do you need? And I dropped everything and I just started driving an hour every day to go do work at his company, basically. And uh, after a month or two of that, he was just spending time with his family and figuring things out. You know, we hadn't spent that much time together in a long time. And, you know, we were talking every day and he was like, well, you know, what do you want to do? You know, I know you're building all these things. And I was like, actually, I'd love to start something else. I'd love to start a small clothing line, like just like some graphic tees or something. And he's like, well, let's do it. You know, what's it going to cost? We'll scrape together like five or 10 grand and we'll make some stuff. So, so we did. And then we got another little warehouse and to start that company. And, uh, that turned into us shipping some other friends' products. And next thing you know, we built an apparel logistics company that had like a hundred employees and was shipping like, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of product a year. Um, and that, that was something we bootstrapped on accident over 10 years, but it all started because I said, yeah, I'll go help you in this time of need. And the reason that that all ties into how I wound up in this philanthropic path is, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of um, pros and cons to social enterprise. <laughs> I think that, you know, you can't fix everything with like a one for one model or, you know, a consumer product. You know, there's, there's a place for philanthropy for sure. But we actually, one of the brands we helped launch was Tom's Shoes way back in the 2000s. And that was really interesting. And it's such a way to me because that democratized philanthropy for a lot of people. Again, a lot of people like myself probably felt like they were alienated or not part of that cl that club. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, I can buy this product and I can be part of this mission mm -hmm. that I feel good about that somebody's doing something. So that just you know sparked off a whole fireworks show in my head of like ideas of things that could could do that same uh, type of good in the world, and that's how I I started. You know, as soon as I was able to, as soon as I I we built the company to a point where I felt like it was doing well, I started thinking about what else I could do, and then coincidentally, full circle back to the beginning of our conversation already. My dad um, wound up with cancer. So one of the side effects of getting a transplant is your immune system is severely depressed. Um, so he wound up uh, getting cancer, which is pretty common. And uh, I went and spent the last uh, month or two of his life um, in a home in Tucson, Arizona, randomly, because that was close to where he, closest place in the States to where he had lived and closest to the hospital. And when I got there, we got in-home hospice care to come and just, you know, do pain management. And I had all this time to just sit there. It was literally just in the middle of nowhere. I don't know anybody in Tucson, Arizona. And, uh, just trying to make my dad comfortable. And I just kept thinking, what is he thinking? And this goes back to that death thing, right now. My dad's actually at that moment, you know, now it's not even a, uh, maybe he's going to live. Maybe he's going to die. He's going to die. Mm -hmm. And I just kept thinking, what is he thinking? What? And it was just so obvious. He's thinking, what did he do that mattered? 
in his life? What did, what mattered? Right. And it's like your family, your friends, what you did to make the world a better place in a nutshell. Right. So, um, so I just was thinking, well, if that's all we're going to care about, then what am I wasting my time on all this other stuff for? You know? So I just immediately started carving everything else out and I called my business partner and said, uh, I want to sell the half of the business that I built and start doing things that have a direct impact in the world. Um, and yeah, that's how it all kind of kicked off. So I, we started off with this helps where we did this shirt helps and this shoe helps and some of those other cool things. And we funded a lot of great projects with that. And then, um, that's how I met Bridget and her and I started listen where we fund hearing aids for people around the world in need by selling audio products. And yeah, that, that whole, you know, that whole journey is just, again, a perfect example of what I think makes for a rich and fun life where in the last 10 years of my life, I didn't make billions of dollars, but I built the most incredible experiential wealth portfolio you've ever seen. You know, like I, I did so many amazing, fun, crazy things that were just so soul filling and rewarding that, you know, it was just really uh, all tied again, back to that, like trying to just experience things and do some good in the world. You know, I, I know some of this you've, you've shared with me before, and, but it's just so nice to hear it again. And I didn't know all those details. I didn't know how you came into the logistics business. I just knew you had the logistics business. And I think that that is one of the most important stories I've ever heard it, because inside right. of it is baked in this lesson that I think we all forget that I forget all the time. And it's that it's that you, you know, we're so worried about protecting ourselves, protecting what we've built, uh, that we, we, you know, when we're going to help, we always assess the situation as, okay, I can help, but how does that affect me in some way? I don't think we all do this, but the best, the best examples that you had a thriving building, uh, built business that was, that was really on its way to becoming something as a personal trainer. And you were able to let that go and totally step in to support this person. And that unfolded into all these incredible things. How many people would have let that business go? Would have been trusting enough in the process that they could do that? I don't think the answer is many. I could be wrong. I don't know. I mean, I'd like to hope it's a lot, but you, you know, you don't really know until you're in those moments, you know, when you have that, 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 when you get that call, you know, there's, and again, a lot of people have different scenarios. I was, I was single. I was by myself. I was able to actually make a decision where selfishly I could say I can make this sacrifice where it's hard for people to do that with families and with other responsibilities and obligations, which, but again, like that brings me back to like the whole concept of what people are doing with their lives because of the constraints that they have. And I think that that's where there's just so much opportunity when, you know, the more we've done all this research, the more we've looked at all the science, the more we've looked at like what it is people care about, 
most things are like, they're small tweaks that get people on their way. It's just like everybody, you know, you hear those stories about how, you know, the the person that started running a mile a day and it turned into them being an ultra runner in like Mm -hmm. uh, six months or whatever. Everybody knows these things, but nobody does anything about it. So, so many people just sit and go, oh, well, I can't, or I won't. And they make all these excuses. So that's why to me, like experiential billionaire was like the next evolution of of a way to give back and help people like lead a really enriched and fulfilling life because there's so many opportunities we have every day around us to to have a better life you don't have to start a company and sell a company you don't have to travel to x amount of countries but maybe you want to you know learn how to cook italian food you know guess what it's not that hard to watch a couple of videos on YouTube or you want to learn a foreign language or maybe start playing chess or you know, join a book club or, you know, I think there's so many things, but people think, you know, oh, I, I need to have X amount of time. They're waiting for this like big chunk of time and money to appear to solve their problems. <laughs> it's like, it's not going to happen. Absolutely. So. And I think that that's, you know, maybe where I was trying to go with it. And it wasn't, it wasn't a criticism of people. It was a criticism of the messaging of society that puts mm. this layer of, if you don't protect your savings accounts, if you don't protect your ins- your health insurance and your life insurance, and you don't live close to your doctors, and if you quit your job, everything is going to come crumbling down. And what you're talking about is because we're not talking about the the idea that you have to have a certain thing. You mentioned you didn't have kids. But then that becomes like, if somebody does have kids, that becomes the story that they tell themselves for the reason why they can't do something. And you're saying there is, or maybe there is almost no reason that we can come up with a solution that helps us circumvent whatever the story was that we were taught, taught to believe why we can't do something, why we can't go help your buddy and give up our career, why we can't go traveling, why we can't take a class, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So you're putting in place a, a, maybe a framework that helps people who have been taught to believe ha, have been taught a limiting belief, yeah. adjust that a limiting belief into an abundant belief. Yeah, that's exactly, exactly right. So, and I'd say an easy way, the way I like to sum it up is, is like this. Our entire lives, we're taught to measure our wealth in currency and, mm-hmm. and, and dollars and cents, right? But the number one thing people regret at the end of their life isn't their bank account. It's literally <laughs> the things they did or didn't do, yeah. you know? And it's actually specifically the things they didn't do. People rarely regret things they did. Just like we said about the negative experiences. If you, even if you went to the wrong college, you don't regret going to college or going to that college. You regret maybe not going to a different college or you regret the things that you said you wanted to do that you did not do. And you know what you really wanted to do and you made it a reason or excuse or whatever. So if that's the case, why don't we treat our experiences like wealth? Why aren't we taught growing up that it's just as important to invest in our experiences as it is to put money in the bank? And it's like, again, we're definitely, I think people get can really, some people will get like very, you know, they'll push back on this and be like, well, cause you need money. It's like, yeah, we know you need money. We're not, this isn't about against being against money. This isn't about not needing money, but your bank account is not your life story your experiences are your life story. So the the risk that's, that we're trying to show people is 
you could very easily wind up at the end of your life and look up and say, I've got a pretty great bank account or a decent bank account, but I'm experientially bankrupt and there's not enough time to fix it. And you can make those changes now. And there's a ton of data that shows that, that people that have a lot of money aren't happier than people that have enough money. You, know, you have a baseline. You know, so when it comes to money, we, yeah, we've all got to survive. We've all got to be able to meet our basic needs. But once you get past that, it really, you know, there's a, we all know that there's tons of people that don't have money that are super happy. Yeah. And there's tons of people that have tons of money that aren't happy at all. Mm-hmm. So, and this isn't even necessarily like, I don't want to use just the blanket term happiness, but just in terms of just like what people are spending their time on in their life, mm-hmm. everybody's got the same 24 hours. You know, time is something that we all have the same amount of, and we have to realize how we, how we use it and how we spend it. So, I, And there's two things I want to break out of that. Uh, you know, the first being, is there, have you looked at this and again, in your research specifically and, and looked at the yes, you know, the yes, man, way of looking in and saying, I'm just going to, what is my process for just saying yes to experiences and, and not worrying about the risk and or consequences? Let's start there. Why don't we start there? So, sure. Yeah. I think that, that really like one of the number one things you need to do is assess the risks the actual, the real risks and rewards, potential risk and rewards. Because once you do that, if you really do that, most of the time, the risks all lie in not doing the thing. Yeah. The risk is much greater of you missing out on something that you pro- might have enjoyed, or you might have at least had a great experience or something from. But we make up stories and we make it into the, the risk being into doing the thing and we can create fear. So fear is really the driver for all of those things, right? We, we, we create a lot of fear around like why we shouldn't or couldn't, or we're not that type of person, or I could never do that. I can't tell you how many people, like I have like, you know, so many friends that, that I've talked to and then, oh, you know, I, I wish I could go to you know Europe and oh, why don't you go? Oh, I could never do that. what what do you mean you could never go or you know like there's so many things where people just automatically default to i could never and it's because they're afraid of the time away from work or the cost or all these different things that could possibly come up but the reality is if you just plan if you just say well what's it going to take how do i do it how do i start connecting the dots start making steps toward it you can you can find yourself there very very quickly Mm -hmm. um i think that I think a really useful way to look at it is we like to say like to do like low ROI to high ROI, right? For instance, say your dream trip, which is by the way, also one of the, the majority things on that, you know, our, our, our study, um, we've done over 20,000 people of the experiences that meant the most to them, the experiences they most wish to have, how long they've wanted to do the things on their lists of experiences that they've, you know, their bucket list slash, or even just normal things, why they haven't done them yet. So we have all this data around it. And there's so many that are like, I want to go to Italy. Huge, huge number of people really want to go to Italy. Um, as far as travel places go, it's definitely the top of the list in our study that we've seen. Maybe that's, that is a big ticket item and it takes a while to plan. So maybe you start with, all right, I'm going to you know learn how to make a different Italian dish every week. That'll cost you like five to 10 bucks, you know, Italian food's so dirt cheap to buy ingredients for. You can have Amazon ship it to your house. You can get a recipe. Maybe you can learn Italian, like beginner Italian, do Duolingo, do whatever. Then maybe, you know, 
put something together where you're going to have a, you know, do a group thing with some other friends around that particular topic and have it kind of slowly escalate until it's like, okay, like now I'm got a bunch of these things kind of all coming together. I'm going to put a date on the calendar where I'm going to actually try to book a trip and I'm going to, this is what's going to cause it's going to take, it's going to be next year, et cetera. And you're just kind of slowly building and you're keeping your goals in line. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a really cool way for people to, to figure out how to like go from things that they just have a fear of, or don't think they can do to getting to do things that are a lot bigger. That's, great, that's part of the mindset shift too. Yeah, no, that's, that's a fantastic, it's a fantastic stepping stone. And it, it, it brings me to the, I don't know who, to, who told it to me, but it was, it's the paraphrased quote of something to the effect of humans always overestimate what they can accomplish in yeah, a year, but they underestimate what they can accomplish in three. Now, obviously that's not exactly what you're saying, but you're talking about. So one, the story about I can never go there. Well, maybe you can't in a year, but in a not, in the not too distant future, you have no idea like how much is there, but then along the way you're, you're getting these little wins that are building that confidence that are rewriting the story that you've learned, the yeah. limiting story that you've, that you've learned. And like, I, I always remind people that story is everywhere. That story's from our parents. That story's from the news. That story's from teachers. Nobody did it intentionally and they're not all negative or limiting, but a lot of it is stories that somebody told us. And so when we start the a sentence with, I can't, or this, or like something along those lines, that's not necessarily coming from you. Yeah. And, and the perspective, so to give a great example, to, to build on your, what you're saying, this is exactly what people don't seem to understand. And this is, this is what, again, when, when you talk about how experiences enrich people's lives, everybody knows that. I feel like when you tell I'm not like telling somebody, oh my God, they're like, really? <laughs> I had no idea. But again, they don't know how to actually put into practice. So the thing that I think is really interesting, and this kind of goes to the same story about my, my past, my, my quote unquote career is you don't know what you can do from a certain point in time and space until you're there. Cause you don't have that perspective. Right. So, so when we actually, even when we started the clothing line, my friend and I, we got a warehouse that was a thousand square feet bigger than we needed. Cause I wanted to build a skateboard ramp. So the actual logistics company is called ramp logistics now. And it's got like, now they have like 500 employees and like 500,000 square feet of space all over. It still has that name, never built the skate ramp, but we built the skate. We got the space <laughs> because we wanted to build the skate ramp, but that enabled us to have space to help our friends ship their product. Mm -hmm. Because when they found out we had the space, they said, Hey, can you do me a favor? Can you help me ship some of my product out of your warehouse? Cause I don't have anywhere to put it. Next thing you know, like, okay, great. We're building this other random company. So your perspective, right? If you, for instance, to use the Italy example, say your low ROI was, I want to learn how to make pasta at home. And then your medium ROI was, I'm going to actually invest in, I'm going to take some cooking classes with the actual Italian, you know, I'm going to go to wherever you do that and locally, right? Then you, then you go to this somewhere and you sit with a group of people that all have the same kind of idea and dream and goal. And you get you know, taught how to make Italian food by somebody that maybe that person's like, oh, you know what? Yeah, I'm actually from Naples and I, I go back every year and we do this trip and it costs $300 and we organize it and we take 10 people and blah, 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 blah. Like those moments happen because you put yourself in a situation to enable those moments to happen. Right. But if you sit at home and you just talk about, I, I can't do anything, yeah. you're just 
just frozen in, in time, you know? And I also think it's really important to talk about just like the money thing, right? It's like money is still important and we don't want people like walking around, you know, hissing at people that drive Teslas, right? It's like, you don't have to actually be like anti-money people that have money that do that live rich lives is awesome too. The thing that, that with actually with the experiences, I got to remember how I circled back to that. I was going to say something about the, uh, sorry, I totally like lost my train of thought when I circled back on the money thing, but it was basically how people make excuses. Yeah. Let me circle back to that. I'll think of it in a second. But sure. That's, that's all important. good, brother. I was, I was thinking about what you were saying and it got me thinking, and I don't know, you know, some people have a spiritual belief around this where they think about collective consciousness or they think about tapping into something energetically where you're building that momentum and you're in this flow almost because you're just constantly using sort of thought energy to create the reality that you want to experience, mm. you know, where it's like, it's intention-based stuff, but now all of a sudden that intention has led to you've made this decision and the universe conspires to make it happen for you. Yeah. And that is harder to experience at home when you're sitting in your apartment, like you said, saying, I can't. And those who have traveled and have gone to places where they know nothing and no one and to watch how it all just works. Yeah. That's what I'm hearing when I hear you say, but you take a class and then maybe somebody else in that class is now connected it in Naples. And now all of a sudden you have a place to stay in Naples and you have a restaurant to go to in Naples and they have a cousin and, you know, yeah, in literally. Sicily that you're going to, you know, zip down to. So, and that, that's how, that's how I think all those things happen. I remember what I was going to say too. I was going to say what people's the excuse that people, people don't like when you say you're against, you know, obviously money, obviously, which is something we're not, but also the number one culprit, when you talk about what I like to say with time thieves, the things that steal our time away mm -hmm. is social media, television. You know, those are by far the number one thing. The average American, it's up to six hours a day that people watch television. It's a crazy number. It's a very, very high number. I actually am not against people consuming television. I don't watch a lot. And I know that's a big part of why I'm able to do a lot of the things, but there's a ton of great things on TV and social media, by the way, is a great way to keep in touch with a very large group of friends where you couldn't do that otherwise. Right. But it's about the intentionality. So the problem, the, the reason that people get in trouble and the reason that I like to say their time is getting stolen is if you're just scrolling these design, these, these tools, these, you know, television and, and social media, your phone, everything else, technology, it's, they're designed to keep your attention, right? So if you don't actually have a purpose, it'll just slowly bleed all of your time away. And that time could be used doing something else you want. But if you want to like spend time, say, you know, you, you want to watch your Netflix show every, every Tuesday night. Yeah. It's totally something you should do. Do it guilt-free. Don't watch your show. And then just after the show's over, flip for another three hours and kill three more hours of time because people have this concept of, of free time and your time's not free. It's just not free. Like literally that time you lost is gone forever. And that's what you trade for the value in things in life. Like it's your time. It's, that's all you have to crazy, trade. Joe. Uh, yeah. Of my coaching clients, like you've, it's, it's staggering when we go through a habits exercise, how many of them cite social media and Netflix or, you know, something like it as the biggest time waste, the thing that they numb themselves with, 
the thing that they know they're numbing themselves with, but can't break it to step into the things that they want to do. And it's, again, you just tied it to, and I, I actually had never even quite thought of it that way. It's stealing your intention. It's stealing your intentionality. If it's, if it's, if it's sucked you into its vortex of, of scrolling and, and whatnot. And, and, and so that begs the question, I have to ask it because you haven't been on social forever. Like in, you know, in the way that many of us are. No. And this is, again, you ahead of your time, Renaissance man kind of vibe. This was pre-social dilemma. This is pre, as far as I was concerned, I never, ever, since I've known you've seen you engage in it. Was it always you just saw what it was or? I I have, well, I have, I have, there's two answers to that. Number one, I think that for me, least i think it's very hard for me to straddle the line of consuming and creating i can't do both very well so i choose to create right so when i'm creating it's a very specific mindset so when you're on social media it's you're creating when you're posting but you're still also consuming a lot it's impossible not to um so it's difficult for me to, to balance those those two. I also have always been one of those people that I'm very much like to be in the moment when I'm doing something. I don't want to be documenting it. However, I would love to have everything I've done documented. I would love to have like a cameraman, like follow me around and take pictures and videos of all kinds of stuff. Because when I do see like my wife's great at it you know and she's not uh, over the top but she does enough of it that we have lots of great documentation of our mm-hmm. trips and our kids and all that stuff and whenever i watch any of it i'm like this is amazing i wish i had more of it right but i'm just not like if i'm at like any you know if i'm at the grand canyon i'm at the grand canyon i'm not taking a picture necessarily of it but i actually do take photos and short videos of things that I do that mean a lot to me. So for instance, like on trips, on travel, on goal oriented things, this is a tool that actually I talk about in the book and in other formats, but um, I think it's really important for your own personal accountability and for your own personal um, reward to give yourself a pat on the back. Like I, I, like you, I work out a lot. I try to, you know, I actually started getting up at four in the morning to work out now because I've got kids and it's like, I, I can go to sleep earlier, but I can't really get much done at night. If I, if I, you know, by like eight o'clock at night, I'm too tired to like really yes. function high level and it's do a lot of incredible crash. <laughs> yeah. So, but I can get up early and, and then I can just sleep earlier. So, but I, what I do is I, when I go into the gym, I immediately take a picture of the, where I'm going to start, like whatever station or whatever. Cause that, that'll tell me when I look at those pictures and I have a folder that's for the gym. So I can go back and I just take one picture, but I know that I went to the gym that day and I can see how many days in a row I went to the gym. I see which days I didn't go, et cetera. And I know what I did that day. Cause I know what routines I do based on where I started and whatever. Super easy. Whenever I travel, I definitely try to take, you know, pictures of the things that are on my list of things I really wanted to see and myself in them. I might not post them, but I have them because I think it's really important to know that, like you said, I said I was going to go to Machu Picchu and then I'm standing at Machu Picchu. It's like, yeah, this is awesome. You know, it's amazing. I, this was something that took years in the making or whatnot. So, um, and even the small things too. I actually take, 
uh, I take a lot of pictures of like food that I make, even if I don't post it like a, a foodie account might, but I actually like to look back and go, oh, that's right. I cooked that really cool dish that I really enjoyed or something like that. So it's good to document. I think, um, I think social media obviously commercializes it a lot, but at the same time, it is an important tool. And unfortunately you'll probably see more coming from me soon because we'll probably be doing a lot more with experiential billionaire on not unfortunately TikTok for and... all of us <laughs> <laughs> that's fortunately yeah. for all of us that you're going to well, post more <laughs> well, well we'll we'll uh we'll see how it comes out <laughs> well, it's it's good i think it's good. I, I respect people that do it it takes oh, a lot of course it's not a knock it's it's just it's it's a very real thing that it can take you out of this moment I even joked with someone the other day where I was saying, like, I know those picture people who believe that pictures take away your soul who don't want to be in Mm -hmm. them. I'm like, there's a degree of truth in the it takes you completely out of the moment the second you are trying to get the good picture. Yeah. And it makes it about something else. Sorry. Concerts. Like you go to a concert a lot. Like to me, live music is such a powerful experience. And you go now and you just see tens of thousands of people all staring at their phone. Yeah. That's just bizarre. Like yeah. the, 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 it's right in front of you, yeah. but, and what are you going to do with that clip on your phone of like a concert like that you have with the other hundred thousand people? It's very difficult to see that, how that is more valuable. That's the existential experiential billionaire question is, is the experience better if it's shared on social yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. well it's funny because we have a really crazy life story and you know when we and i haven't really shared that um and uh, you know and i i don't i think that you know social media there's a lot of people look at it and you know they think that people that are sharing all the stuff they're doing to your point even the people that were just going to countries to check off the country off the list you know there's a lot of negative around that um but i think that that's all fine. I think it's all going to kind of balance out in the wash. So, so really our, our goal though is pretty simple and that's to, um, it's not about like obviously people posting it or how you share it or what you do with it. To me, it's about getting people to understand that this is what matters in your life. And this is what's going to stop you from having serious regrets when you're older is going to be starting to put together a, a, actual portfolio of things that you've done that when you start to look back, you know, every year you can go, I'm accomplishing things that mean something to me. Mm -hmm. You know, there's tons of little things. I don't care if you do a different hike every day, if you learn how to surf or if you, there's just so many things you could just go and do that don't cost anything at all or very, very cheap. And the thing that I think is the number one thing that I'm obsessed with, I think trying to help people do is take things off their someday calendar because everybody just puts it on this someday. I'm going to do this someday. Well, we've got news for everybody. There's no someday on the calendar. Take a look at your calendar. (laughs) There's not, there's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, someday's not on there. So we're trying to, you know, every time we do a talk or we, we get together with groups of people, we do some exercises that help people take the things that they know that they want to do and get it off of this vague, BS future, never going to happen someday calendar and put it on the actual calendar and get some accountability and start building that, those things into their lives. On the the note of your creative versus consuming, what is your creative process? Because you've, you've created so much, you know, I, I, even if for those who are listening, we don't get a chance to talk about listen headphones. It's, it's not only an exceptional product that I own, 
but just the brand is exceptional. The, the brand you created is exceptional. The way you told and tell stories about people who didn't heard their mother talk for the first time, uh, you know, and now you're writing or are done writing a book. And so I'm curious how you tackle your creativity on a day-to-day month-to-month basis. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think I, I I think I'm pretty shitty at it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a creative. Uh, the creative process is hard. Um, I've read a lot, a lot of uh, books from great writers, and uh, yeah, all, all the different types of books on creativity. And it just takes, it, in terms of fear, in terms of just just something that's very ominous and hard to overcome, like the creative process is to me at the forefront of that, you know, that's at the very, anything you have to do, if you, if you have to write a book, you got to start with the page and, you know, like that blank page, just getting yourself to sit down and stare at your computer and start is hard. You know, and if you want to start a company, right? Like, okay, I want to start a company. What do I do? Okay. I've got to start a business plan. I got to figure out what things cost. I got to start putting together, you know, there's so many like fine points to all of those things but you have to start. So I think that to me is probably the thing that separates people the most, the people that do a lot and the people that don't, it's just starting. Um, once you start, it's easy to fix and build and correct. And, you know, you might even write out a whole, you know, there's times I write a dozen pages of something and just scrap it and be like, that's not actually what I thought it was going to be. And it's not going to work or same with the business plan. You might be like, this is how this is going to go. And it could just go a totally different direction and you just got to adjust, but you can't do that if you're starting from zero. So, so yeah, I think that my process is just to make myself start. Um, and that's a lot of the advice I think I've read over the years from like writers and whatnot. They say, just get, you know, be dedicated, you know, do things daily. You know, most of the stuff that's creative takes compounding time, you know, you've got yeah. to, you're much better off you doing something, even like learning, like for instance, an instrument, right? Like perfect example. I think of that is like, if you played your guitar for 15 minutes a day, every day, you'd be way better than if you just sat down every like three weeks and picked it up for two hours, just mm-hmm. because it's not how your brain, you know, encodes things. It's not how you learn. It's not how you get better. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I think that's, that's a big part of it. And it's funny, like the, the listen story, I think inspiration, your experience is like where you find inspiration too, right? So we actually, I was looking to do something in music when Bridget and I met and I, we saw a video of a girl, a 27 year old woman hearing for the first time, a woman named Sloan. And it was just such a powerful experience. Like you could not help watch that video and not think, oh my God, this woman's life has changed forever. But that's a perfect example of how her experience was so powerful and so so rewarding for her, but then she shared it and it didn't lose any value. You know, it actually gained value for all the people that watched it, people like me that then went on to start a company that then went on to help give 50,000 plus more people hearing aids, all because one woman had an experience and she shared it. And it was something that people were like moved by. And that really motivated me to start a business. It's crazy when you think about that stuff. How do you, it absolutely is. And I, and again, this is kind of all, there's a common thread in your life and in how you live. And so when we talk about the creative process and we talk about, you're absolutely right. It's not the starting piece. The way I think about it is you, you, you still have to fight that starting battle the first 10 minutes before and the first 10 minutes during doing creative work every day. And so it's, it is about that dedication and you get this end result, but I, I wanted to, 
on that vein, talk about creating opportunity because you also have, when you talk about experiential billionaire, that's creating an opportunity for yourself. If you, if you do the thing that you want to do, but in business with listen, with this, this helps you created incredible opportunities from campaigns with Delta and Hennessy, I believe. Shivas. 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 Sorry. Scratch that from the record. <laughs> and, and going all over the world. And, and again, I want to be cognizant of your time, but just how did you go about creating such incredible opportunities in business and in life? Is there a yeah, difference I, between your creative process and that? You know, I, this is one of those inspirational poster kind of things though, where I think that you, you create your own limitations. You know, we all create our own limitations. You, you can be realistic. You know, I'm a realistic person. I'm not, I, I like to say that I'm, you know, hopelessly optimistic because I, I try to always be very optimistic, but I'm very much a realist. I'm pessimistically a realist at the same time. So I don't hope for things that have zero chance but if something is just like a, a lower probability or a longer you know time frame that doesn't mean it's not possible so i think people get very confused by those scenarios and will just you know look at something so to give an example the delta story is a really great story where i met a, a executive from the delta team at a party and we were chatting and he asked what i did and i told him about listen and he thought oh that's a really cool story you know it's really interesting so i got his information from my friend who threw the party and i didn't say anything i just sent him a pair of headphones and i got it with a note you know and i got a call like a week later and said oh my god i got these headphones these are amazing these headphones are actually really really awesome and you know this is a really cool story is there something that we could do together with delta and i said mm. sure you know what are you thinking and i don't know what they're thinking Thinking. And I thought well, you want us to do something small. And they, they originally came back and said, you know, yeah, well, you, you, could you guys put some headphones in the lounges so that if people forget or lose their headphones, they can work in the lounge in the sky clubs. Sure. That sounds like a pretty easy, you know, cool, good marketing placement for us, et cetera. And then they called like a few weeks later and said, you know what, what about, could you guys actually provide headphones for the onboard, you know, business first class cabins. And I was like, well, how many headphones is that? <laughs> it's a couple million headphones. <laughs> um, hold on a second. <laughs> you know, let me turn around and look at my three person team, my, you know, 500 square foot office at the company we just started. And I literally had that moment. I was like, sure. What is it? What do we need to do? And uh, it took three years of actual uh, negotiating slash building it all out slash the moment from that conversation to delivering those headphones. We actually, it took three years, but we did it. We actually were able to overcome every obstacle. We just kept fighting through it and uh, we just never gave up and they never gave up. And it was a thing that I would very, there's so many points along the way that we could have very easily just said, we can't do this. Like it's not possible. And at the time that we would have said that it wasn't, you know, but we made it possible by just continuing to look for solutions and find ways. So, yeah, that's the real start story of entrepreneurship, isn't it? Oh, if gosh. You see the end result. You see you're in the Sky Club, you're on, you're in first class in Delta. You put on these awesome headphones. Yeah. You don't know. You're like, oh, that brand's what, what them? It's like, that yeah. wasn't my brother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, and there's another element to that, right? So, 
So we did that, that partnership with Delta, and we gave away 100% of all of the revenue from that to our, our charity partner. We actually didn't make any money off that at all. We actually took that money that we made and we got Delta's corporate social responsibility division to donate a large sum of money on top of that to our partner. And we went and we actually filmed the mission that that funded in Peru. We actually went to a place called Arequipa, Peru, and we gave away thousands and thousands of hearing aids. Uh, we filmed it all. It was a really cool experience. And one of the lead people at corporate Delta, that was a great partner, of course, for us. Um, one of the lead people that we worked with um, told us right after we finished the mission that they were quitting the Delta because they wanted to do work like we were doing. They were like, this is what I want to do with my life. There, this is this is what I want to do. This has been a, such a life changing experience for me, and I just they were like so thankful, and, and we were just you know again we felt super blessed to be able to provide obviously the people the hearing aids, and then have people that get involved with the organization have those kind of moments. Dude, that's an incredible story. That really that is, was, and that's and and it, it goes to show you. You know, when I said when I read your bio and I said you transform lives, you know, there's you do, and. Because, you know, just to, to extend that, when I met you and you showed me this helps, this shirt helps, that was the motivation behind Naked, my underwear company at the time, doing school, computer labs. Nothing before that. We had no social <laughs> angle until that moment. And we That's built three awesome. computer labs in Ghana That's following awesome. that. Wouldn't have happened without you. And the other I thing is your email signature that says, has have the best day ever. And I'm like, always... Because I know you and I can feel how genuine and sincere and warm that is. But it's, but even if I don't, it didn't know you, it's just, it's just a shift. It's like a nudge. It's like a pat on the back. It's like that, that hug you didn't ha- get this morning when you rushed out the door or something like that. It just makes you feel good and it transforms a mediocre moment into a better one. That's great. I love hearing that. You know, it's some, I've had a lot of people over the years say that they love that signature and that they say that they they want to use it, but they they know that I I use it. And I always tell everyone use it, take it. That's what it's for. Like everyone use it. The whole world use it. Like it's a reminder that life is short. Like make today count. Like have a great day today. Have the best day. Literally. I always want an email from you for that one reason. It doesn't feel the same coming from anybody else. And and so like to. I have one selfish question I want to ask, which I'll ask later. How much I wanted to, because <laughs> I, I want to ask about your fitness routine, but <laughs> that's my mm. selfish question. Uh, but I want to also make sure that, you know, again, I want to be cognizant of time and, and spend a little bit more uh, with an emphasis on the experiential billionaire, what it is exactly, specifically how people can engage with it. And also maybe the, maybe the lead into that would be, you know, going to these experiences that you had, like a great white shark, samurai lessons, like what one of those was maybe part of the instigating you to say, this is something more than just me having an experience. I need to take what's happening here and build a, a model and a formula so I can share it. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> funny that yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And actually that was, that was something that we got back as feedback, um, Bridget and I both. And it, it's funny because we actually asked similar questions to people that we know in our, in our network. We did, we did a, a small survey, but essentially we had been having these incredible life experiences and people, 
people seeing listen everywhere and they were saying, um, oh my God, you guys must be rich. And to be honest, we're not, we weren't. And it's a terrible, difficult industry, the audio industry. Our competitors are Apple, Amazon, um, Bose, Sony, Google, the biggest companies in the world. And we're this tiny company. Um, so we would just laugh and say, you know, we're experiential billionaires. And that became the joke that everybody would laugh and go, I love that. I love that. Cause we would say, you know, cause we were doing all these things and having all these great experiences, which is what mattered to us, right? Those are the things that matter to us. We felt like we were just getting richer and richer and richer in, in life. Um, when COVID hit right at the beginning of COVID, um, the missions stopped. We couldn't do missions in person, obviously, to give hearing aids. So we had to, everything went on pause there. And so then we were just basically selling headphones, which was, again, a good time for headphones because everyone's working from home. But at the same time, that's really not what we we're in it for. And we just reached out and said to our group of advisors, friends, family, et cetera, and said, what would you like to see from from us, from Bridget and I, you know, what is the, where do you see the most value that we can bring next? And as I'd mentioned, so many people would reach out to us after we would do our trips or missions or post or send people updates on all the things we were up to and say, I really wish I could do that. You know, your, your, what you guys are doing is so cool. And these life experiences and uh, the response we got from the survey from so many people was, you know, oh, we'd love to hear more about your, all of your life experiences and how you're doing them. You know, how do you guys manage to do all these things? And, you know, to me, that was just like such an obvious like layup. It was like, this is what people want, you know, out of their life and they don't know how to do it. And it took us a long time to actually get good at it. You know, even though we've known that this is what we enjoy and what makes our lives feel our life feel more important building your life resume and your life story you know takes it takes a lot of learning and you know even everything from all the stuff that people put on the bucket list whether it's big ticket items or normal things or whatever a lot of those things like travel or or uh, big plans you know people even think just as simple as like skydiving it still takes organization planning and and uh, so we thought you know this is something we actually know a lot about so we actually dove go head first into let's do research. Let's figure out what the science behind experiences are. Let's conduct some studies. Let's actually go back through the last like couple decades of our life and figure out like what went right, what went wrong and how let's, you know, get a bunch of that kind of research at the forefront. And, uh, you know, by doing all of that stuff, we realized like, this is, this is, the brand, the, the reason we came up with experiential billionaire is because it's something that I think everyone should aspire to be. Not everybody should want to be a billionaire. Nobody, not everyone needs to be, you know, Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg or Oprah or whatever, but everybody can be an experiential billionaire because it's all, it's choose your own adventure. You know, I don't care if you're, you know, a 55 year old, you know, empty nester that lives in Iowa, you know, maybe your goals are, you know, you want to bake pies for the local school every week and you want to do, you know, certain things in your community, like there's things that people just need to do to be, to have purpose and to show people like how to figure that stuff out and have a life that feels purposeful. So that just all became all part of the experiential billionaire, like how to, how to basically build a life rich in experiences and die with no regrets. And that's really where we, we come up with the term, you know, experiential billionaire. To me, what that means is it's not like a destination. Obviously you don't just get to a point where you're like, I had enough experiences, check the box, you know, mm -hmm. it's forever. It's every day. You're just, it just means that you got to a point where 
you're doing the work, you're, you're having enough, you're getting enough out of life that you feel good about it. Where if you actually did hate to say, if you die tomorrow, like I was saying, like not everyone's lucky enough to have a near death experience. Some people have the actual death, death experience, then you're okay with it. And that's how I felt even 10 years ago. when I think you and I first met, it's how I started this shirt helps. And and when we started listening, it's like, if you get hit by a car and you're in the street tomorrow, are you going to be, are you going to feel good about what you're doing with your life and what you've done with it so far? And that's what I want everyone to feel. I want everyone to feel like that. And that's, that's the experiential billionaire. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole thing is like how to, how to live a life where you feel really good about it. And when you're doing things that you love, you do feel that. You do feel yeah. that. It's when you're not doing them and you're thinking about all the other people living in comparison, like the way they say comparison is the death of joy. Like yeah. when you're doing it, it, it changes that. And again, like there's the psychology piece of that. And I'm very curious when you, when you dug, dug into the science and you ran these surveys, what were the, the, the very surprising things that you found? Well, it's some of them again are just so, so, so obvious, you know, like relationships, like experiences deep in relationships, relationships are linked 100% to end of life happiness. The people that live the longest actual longevity, your life will, you, you will live longer if you have better relationships. The people that lose touch with people and, and are by themselves actually die earlier. So not only you're actually losing time in your life, the time that you actually have while you're here and you're doing things, you know, people talk about things like flow state and all those things, experiences expand time. New experiences are like, it's, it's, it's something that look when you're, when you're remembering back at the vacation you had, that was a week long. It seems like it was like a month long. It might've flown by a bit in the moment, but that's because your brain's encoding all of that stuff. And that when you look back, it seems like you did a hundred things, a thousand things, because it's so much bigger. So you're literally expanding the time that you use and making it denser and more full. I mean, how that's like such a, a cool, a cool uh, concept really in cool. general. That's really cool. Um, yeah. Most experiences make you healthier, but either physically or mentally, you know, there's very few, uh, uh, that won't in some way, again, in terms of learning, which it keeps you, makes you live longer, makes you feel better. Um, experiences are how we learn things. Some of the, the, obviously getting you out of your comfort zone. Some of the surprising things are people don't know what they do and don't like, like I was saying. So by doing things, it's so funny. Like, I mean, I have a, I have a friend right now that just recently, like not even an athletic person at all, um, got into pickleball and it's obviously a, a rage all over, but they're like obsessed now. Now they're like, they're, 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 they've been like, they're like a year into pickleball where it is like their identity now. And that's, to me, it's great. Cause you don't have to do a new thing every day. When I try to explain to people about experiences is, but doing the same thing every day at a higher level or trying to get better or improve is basically the same as doing a new thing. You're basically, you know, it's kind of like if you're learning how to skateboard or ride a bike, if you go from just pedaling down the street to jumping down a flight of stairs, you know, those are pretty different experiences. <laughs> and yeah, and just, uh, yeah, exactly. And just uh, the concept of looking back at your experiences over time and like seeing how much value they gain, like things that you didn't even realize were that valuable. Um, you know, there's a lot of science around that, like how, how you have such you know, fond memories that it creates like a much more positive mindset at an older age because you feel like you did things that had value. Um, and that ties to the end of life regrets and things like that. So there's just so many things and in terms of how you can like discover the things that you love in the first place. Um, I just think that there's 
you know, if you go out and you travel, even if it's locally, if you go to how many people like in their city or their town, like don't even go to the town next door or don't even go to different parts of their town. They go to the same five restaurants and the same corner store, et cetera. If you branch out, you expand your worldview, you meet people, you, you get different you know, viewpoints. It's just all those things help to make you just feel like a much more complete human being. So from the, the standpoint of point of entry, there's a book coming out. There's two, there's two questions I'm going to ask you here. There's a book coming out and that's obviously going to outline the how-to of this. Are there yeah. other components that people can engage with what, you know, th- this, this process that you're, they're putting on paper here. And the second component or question is with COVID, I mean, that must be, have, have made the battle a little bit easier to fight with a lot of people you know, seeing death or having fear of death, but also, and, and also the, the idea that like shit gets locked down, that can happen. I better do shit before yeah. shit gets locked down again. And the last piece is yeah. they made it more accessible to do stuff by, That's right. you know, more remote work. And so how are you thinking about all those? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, all, all those are true. And I think that, I think, you know, you're, we're already seeing this massive travel surge from all the people that were cooped up for two years that A, are just dying to get out, but B, realized that, you know what, maybe that bucket list trip that I thought I'd have time for any time, maybe I won't, you know, maybe it's not going to be possible in another year. I need to do it now. And I think that that's really, um, you know, uh, one of the fortunate outcomes of of COVID is that a lot of people were, you know, touched personally by by death or, or, you know, just even the serious sicknesses that people had. And they realized, you know, like this is this, I might not have a tomorrow. You know, there's this quote I love about death, you know, basically that's uh, that's everybody that dies, almost everyone that dies had plans for tomorrow. Yeah. You know, so, you, you know, you don't know when it's going to happen. So, so to answer your question though, yeah, we, uh, so we have a bunch of guidebooks that um, are all still coming up on the site. Everything's just launching now. So we're just, uh, we're just gearing up for full swing, but the guidebooks are really cool. Cause it's an, it's, they're all about 40 to 50, 60 pages. And it's things like how to roast your own coffee, how to forage seaweed, you know, meditation for beginners, a guide for making sushi at home, how to become a record collector, how to play chess, how to stargaze, just activities that people can learn how to do that will basically be fun, cool things to know how to do and to tell their friends about. But we're going to have probably hundreds of those within the next like few months up on the site. And we look at that as like a, you know, how to for dummies, but for like this generation of like, like just different cool things to make people give them a starting point to get out. And it's a free start access starting point. We just want people to have access to that. And the book will be out and uh, we don't have the actual official date where it looks like it'll be uh, end of October, but uh, we're going to make the release date in just a couple of weeks here. But yeah, and other than that, we're doing keynotes. Um, we're trying to you know host as many different types of uh, talks to go over all the concepts and explain to people the tools and the toolkit that we provide. And just how to start, you know, managing their, their uh, experiences like a form of wealth and <laughs> just think of it like, you know, it's just as important as your bank account. So even though we all think that uh, money's the end all be all, 
the experiences you have are going to be just as important and, and more important, really. Do you see a, do you see a laddering up into where you're actually hosting experiences themselves? Oh yeah. 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 We actually have a launch event where we're doing experiences. That's one of the things that we're pulling out of the data of all the studies is that, uh, you know, we're, we're picking some of the top things that people wanted out of the 20,000 plus people. And we're going to actually offer some contests. We're also going to do some, um, challenges. We're going to do some things online to try to challenge people to challenge their friends to do you know, one of these X new things a week for the next month and, you know, get people to, to, basically experience some new and novel things and see what their feedback is, you know, and how it feels. And, you know, it's not like a, a complete say yes to everything thing. You know, that was one of your questions earlier that we kind of danced around, but didn't answer directly. But um, I do think that you have to really analyze the things that come your way. But I think that uh, most often the answer should be yes, unless there's a reason for, for a no, you know, there's, if the no is I don't have time, that's probably not a good answer. Like you probably do have time. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Well, brother, then I, I have to ask, like I said, and then at the end, we'll make sure that we're sending people in the right direction to, to find out more about Experiential Billionaire. And if there's anything you wanted to add, but my selfish question is, because you look like you're 26 and you're fit as hell. <laughs> and how are you, what is, what is the routine today? These days, I should say, you know, fit, like, you know, food, fitness, and how are you maintaining that on the road? Cause you travel a lot, a lot, a lot. I think, well, I think that that's actually the only way to maintain that kind of schedule is you got to be healthy and you've got to really you know, pay attention to those things um, to operate at that kind of a level consistently. And if you have kids, you know, like that's a whole training regimen on its own. So just trying to keep up with kids is tough. But uh, yeah, I actually alternate through a few different, I've, I figured out over the course of a lot, a lot of years that most people, myself included, can really do a lot in about a 25 to 30 minute workout by doing circuits, you know, just splitting up the exercises. So that's what I do more often than not. I don't have any excuse not to. And if I ever fall out of a rhythm or pattern, I get back in and I'll do 15 or 20 minutes. And usually within like a few days, I'm back at like a full 30 minute circuit. So when I'm doing that, I find I can work out every other day and just do a 30 minute. Uh, I try to do 30, 30 to 36 different exercises. So 30 to 36 different um, sets of exercises. I mean, in the 30 minute window and oh. I just got my power through. So I do like push-ups and then pull-ups and then, you know, uh, overhead press maybe or something. I do a lot of body weight stuff, you know, body weight squats, um, body weight lunges, or I'll, I might do dumbbells, all these things individually, but I go through a circuit and I'd love to share with you. I have a, I have a documented circuits that I do, but just making sure I hit every body part though. I do every body part when I'm doing those maintenance, 25 to 30 minute workouts and they keep me quite fit. And then every so often, cause I'm getting older, I don't want to lose muscle. If anything, I'd like to gain some muscle mass. So I have more to lose as I age. <laughs> um, uh, so I basically I'll do a month of like a heavier where I break it up into categories, you know, again, where I'll do like the old school stuff or I'll do, you know, chest and triceps and shoulders one day and back and biceps and abs one day and, and my legs one day and 
do that for a month and of just eating a lot more and having a high protein intake food wise, always, always eat. I like I'm a, uh, I'm definitely a omnivore, but I don't eat a ton of meat. Like I don't eat like high volumes of meat. I, I feel, I personally believe, and everyone's got opinions about these things. And there's a lot of data that's very confusing out there. My own experience is that much like the Mediterranean diet, as long as you eat a lot of vegetables, I eat a lot of whole grains. I eat oats every single day. I have, you know, uh, a lot of nuts, a lot of fruit, and then I'm and fresh vegetables and greens. And I mix in fish and meat and you know, meat products, whatever in uh, reasonable amounts. And yeah, as long as I stay healthy, that seems to work really well for me, but I definitely think that there's certain things we all should be trying to get. And those to me, I think it's like, definitely people should be eating beans of some type every day, you know, seeds, nuts, if you can't get fresh fruits, dried fruits, you know, raisins, things like that. Do you, when you travel, because again, you're always looking fit and, and you do an excellent job of maintaining. I don't, you know, I don't see you all the time, but the mask, because I've always noticed that you've, you've always looked built and I always have such a challenge keeping size. If I have a good month of size and it, I, you know, a week of bad eating and cardio, I, I've lost a hundred percent, you know, but I guess that's not really the question. The question is, how are you taking that into the, into the travel? You're just, you're yeah. in Bali, you're in, you're in Japan, you're in Italy, wherever you are, what would you be, what would you be doing or bringing there selfishly again? <laughs> no, it's, it's in, to me, it's really about intentional, you know, it, it's, in between travel, first of all, I go really aggressive in terms of if I, if I want a result, what gets measured gets done. Like that's a firm belief of mine, right? So if I want to be really fit by next week and want to actually be like pretty cut and ripped, I'll write down and weigh everything I eat for like weeks straight. And, and it's not that I don't like what I'm eating. I'm not making myself eat anything I don't like. I'm just making sure, okay, I'm going to have four ounces of salmon and I'm going to have, you know, two ounces, whatever, two ounces of bread and X, whatever. And that way I can count calories until I figure out how much I should be eating to because I'll see what the, the weight happening, right? I'll see I'm training every day. I'm eating 2000 calories and I'm losing two pounds of fat a week. That's where I want to be. Now I know how much exactly to eat after a couple of weeks. And I'm just going to keep on that plan. And you know, when you're eating out, when you're traveling, you really have to just be aware of how much you're eating. And my opinion is if you, as long as you're really doing that, like if you go somewhere, I love food. So I will seek out every tasting menu. When I travel, I will want to know every great restaurant. So I'm never going to be like, okay, I'm, I'm in you know Barcelona and I'm not going to, I'm just going to have oatmeal for breakfast. It's not going to happen. I'm going to eat like I want to eat. So I'm just going to up the activity level. But in the in-between stuff, if I'm like on the road and I'm like, you know, at an engagement or speaking or doing something like that, yeah, I'm going to be a lot more careful about like what I eat on the in-between times. Or if I know I'm going to go to like a big, cool dinner where I'm going to have 20 courses of food, then I'm going to have a pretty sensible, you know, really light kind of meal and lunch knowing that that's going in. And I also, whenever I go anywhere, I'm, I'm really kind of crazy about this travel. You know, obviously I spend a lot of time in Asia, both with factories and just different travel for the charity work and whatnot, and just travel in general, uh, a lot of time in Europe, a lot of time in different time zones. 
I almost always try to go to the hotel gym at like four or five in the morning if I'm awake or if it opens at like six, I always want to be like the first person there. And even if I only plan on doing like a quick workout, I always feel so much better starting off with that, yeah. even no matter what else happens in the day. And it's, it's just a mindset again. It's like when I go, when I'm getting dressed to go, I'm usually like, I don't want to do this, <laughs> but once you get in there, then I get out of there and I'm like, Oh, great. I feel great. So it's, it, that is, that is the hack of hacks, man, is, is the hotel gym. I have, I have like three blogs on hotel gym workouts that I've written on my blog. Oh, yeah. Cause I just, I just want people to do it because it changes everything. I never schedule anything before 9.30 a.m. when I'm on the road because I, I want that morning workout. And I, you know, I know that's later in the morning, but I just, I just want to make sure that I'm, like, I'm hydrated and, and I've had a good start to the day. You know, yeah. Especially, it may be not day two, but especially day one in a city. Yeah. Oh yeah. And and I have people all the time go, Oh my God, you're so lucky that, you know, you're staying fit and da, da, da. And it's like, it's not luck. It's really not. It's not, you know, and again, sure. There's like, obviously some genetics involved in everything, but I've been training off and on my whole life since I was 17 years. I was a really skinny kid in high school. Obviously probably the drug addiction wasn't helping, but uh, I actually, uh, I I've been like, I've, I've logged, I don't even know how many tens of thousands of hours I've logged in, in the gym. And especially when things get tough work-wise, when things are hard, that's the most important time when you don't have time, that's when you have time. I heard that quote about meditation once a long time ago, that if you don't have time to meditate, you need to meditate because that's how you get clarity. That's how you get focus. That's how you figure out priorities. That's how, you know, you always, we always find these people that were like, wow, there's, how do they manage to get so much done? It's because they're doing the right things. And that's the difference between being effective and being efficient. You know, like I could go clean my kitchen every day for two hours and my kitchen would look super nice and clean. It's not going to change my life though. Right. So if I actually focus on writing my book for two hours and my kitchen gets a little dirty, that's being effective because I needed to write the book. I didn't need to do the you know housework or whatever. So that's the kind of stuff that I think really makes a difference. Once you, you know, know that you're, if you don't take care of your health, what I try to, the way I look at it and try to explain it to people by me working out for 30 minutes a day, four or five days a week or three or four or whatever it is, and then doing bigger workouts, other periods that gives me an extra few hours a day. Cause it gives me energy that I would not have had. Cause I wouldn't be feeling fit and healthy. It makes me think clear all those things. So you're actually buying time. There's no question. There's no question to the quality of, to your point of effectiveness, the quality of your work. So you could work for nine hours and it might be dog shit, or you could yeah. work with five really good ones and have chosen to use the other four for things that improved those five hours from nutrition to workout to meditation to, you know, the list goes on and on because that is personal and different people will be stimulated by different things into the quality of and effectiveness of their work. Yeah. That's actually how I've, um, I've done a lot of work like that over the last, you know, 10 years though, where I, I try to work, I try to do the bulk of, of uh, my work between about 7am and about 2pm. 
I try to get most of the things I need to get done, done in that period. So, and especially the creative stuff and then everything else is kind of bonus. So there's lots of times that I'll finish the day early, like three 30 or four completely. Um, but if I'm going to do like busy work or file stuff or get some tax documents ready or whatever, that can all happen after I've actually got the stuff that matters out of the way. So I try to always just do the early morning stuff. And I, I include in that early morning stuff though. Again, that's why getting up at four in the morning to do workouts and stuff like that. Like that's on my list. I think I may have told you once before, but I'll share it again. Precursor to experiential billionaire was I actually had a list that I still do all the, uh, I fill out. It's a, it's a uh, Google doc spreadsheet that I wrote. It's called actions express priorities. And that's a famous Buddhist or quote, or isn't it, Gandhi, is it Gandhi? I think it's Gandhi, Gandhi, Gandhi or attributed to Gandhi. <laughs> yeah, literally who knows? It's probably attributed to a lot of people online, but but it's it's very true statement, right? You know, we say what we want to do and then we do something else. So your actions actually express your true priorities. So so I made this list already 20 something years ago and I updated it all the time with like if anything changes, but I've got about 15 things at any given time on there. And they're like, I want to wake up early. I want to, what my weight is. I document like specific things, uh, how many hours I want to write, how many hours I want to read, how many, you know, play my guitar 15 minutes a day, you know, the meditate, all those things. And when you, when you look at them all, it's such a great useful tool to actually do something like this. Cause once you add them all up, you actually see it, you go, well, if I actually did all these things that I said, I want to do every day, that's like nine hours of stuff. I can't do that. So then you have to pick and choose. So the reason I do the spreadsheet, I do it in a two week format and I fill it out and I check boxes and some of them, I write the details in. It's so helpful because when I'm in the best mood and I'm feeling really good about life in general, I'm checking a bunch of those things. I, I can look at it and see that, you know, it's not like straight lines because I can't do them all every day, but I'm doing a lot of the things that mean a lot to me. And I think that's just a really helpful tool. And if you don't spend the time to do it though, then it's just something that you don't even think about. Like you might say, oh, I like to play my guitar, but if they're just hanging on the wall all year round and you pick it up, you know, once when your friends come over at Christmas, it's not really a thing for you. <laughs> you know, you might want to take it off your list. So yeah. That's it. That's another incredible tip and hack. I could talk to you all day, Joe. I miss you. Well, and uh, you have so much wisdom to share with the world. Uh, but in, in the in respect of your time and of your family and and um, you know all the, the great things that you're doing, maybe we should call it there and and just leave the floor open for. You know, is there anything that you, that you didn't get a chance to say that this this interviewer on the other side failed to to, to give you the opportunity to say that you can? And on the backside of that. Where do you want people to go discover more of your work and the things that you're doing? Thank you so much. First of all, Joy, I really appreciate being on. And of course, love catching up and I'd love to do this again, um, either the podcast or just hang out in person. And, uh, you know, had a really, really great time. The easiest thing and the best thing is just go to experientialbillionaire.com and you can learn all about like what we're doing and what's going to happen. Um, it's going to continue to evolve and hopefully we're going to build a, a really great community of people that want to live a life rich in experience. You absolutely will. <laughs> There's no question about it. And but this is the hope part. Maybe hopefully Cosan Travel can somehow introduce our travelers to your experiences and in, in your world. That would be a really cool tie-in. Let's do it. 
Awesome, Let's do brother. it, brother. Well, thank you again. And I encourage everybody who's listened to check out Joe, check out Listen Headphones, which we'll put in the show notes. It's L-S-T-N, not the normal way you'd spell listen. And check out Experiential Billionaire and you know, follow Joe for his, his, his speaking and his keynotes. And when the book's there, buy the book because Joe has lived an amazing life and he has lots to share as you, as you now know. Uh, I appreciate it again, Joel. Thanks so much, buddy. Um, let's uh, let's do this again soon and I hope everyone has a wonderful rest of their day. I'd love to. You too, buddy. Bye. All right. Take care. As always, thanks so much for listening to The Ramble. You know, there is a lot of podcasts out there, so we thank you for choosing to listen all the way through on this one. You know, we want to be part of the, the solution, the, the good questions, the things that move you and inspire you and make you want to connect deeper with yourself and others and all that great stuff. So if the spirit does move you, subscribe, share, post, anything. We'd be forever grateful. And if you have any comments or feedback, good, bad, ugly, it doesn't matter. We're here to listen. Guests you think we should have on. Of course, send them along. Thank you. And until next time, peace. Hey, thanks so much for making it to the end of the podcast. I know that my Self and, of course, my guests really appreciate you listening all the way through. You know, they put a lot of time into their projects and their ideas, and and you know, they're very thoughtful with how they they bring themselves and show up on the show. And so I'm really grateful that uh, that you've listened all the way through. You know, we don't have ads on the show. I think I don't think Red Circle's running ads, but I wanted to take just a quick second to say that hey, if the spirit moves you, you know, this podcast can be brought to you by some of the wild, fun, wacky, creative things I do. I always try and stay in the practice of creativity, whether that's writing or working on films or uh, just about anything. I, I try and be very diligent that I'm I'm doing it consistently. And so, you know, as a result of that, I put some things out and and I'd love for you to check them out. You know, one is uh, Getting Naked, The Bare Necessities of Entrepreneurship and Startups. That's my book and you can get it anywhere where books are sold online like Amazon or Barnes and Nobles or Indigo. And uh, it's the story of my company, Naked Underwear, the first company I started that went from a failed attempt on Dragon's Den, um, your, that's your shark tank in America, to the NASDAQ and was eventually divested. And it has a ton of tips and ideas for startups, very practical advice, but it's always also interwoven with my own story, which I think entrepreneurs and creatives and artists can really, uh, would really relate to, uh, you know, it has almost 155 ish star, four and a half star reviews. And I think people, if you're going through, you know, a startup need some motivation, need some ideas, just want to feel like, Hey, there's a kindred spirit out there. You know, it's a great book to check out. Also, you can check out my blog at joelprimus.com forward slash blog, where I write a couple of blogs a month about a variety of topics, a lot of stuff on fitness, things like how to know when to quit, a lot of personal development, psychedelics, all kinds of things. Everything's written from a personal lens. And, uh, you know, it's just a great way to digest a little bit of hopefully fun and helpful and inspiration. And of course, keep checking out this podcast, The Ramble on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever your podcatcher of choice is. Thanks again and have an awesome day, week, month, whatever it is.